Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Wampa Radio. This is number 13, and, well, this is a podcast focusing on Star Wars Unlimited TCG. The gang's back together, too. Hooray. That's right. Uh, we're back together once more to dig into headlines, strategies, the discussion points you want to hear about in the world of Star Wars card gaming. I couldn't be happier to be back. <laughs> I have to deal with I'm, this. I have to deal with this clown by myself. Yeah, actually, no. I was just going to say that I'm very happy that he's back because it gave me a respite. But then you stole my thunder. So apparently, Flake and I oh. just hate each other. Is what it I, comes down to. At least you're synchronized in that, though. There's some synergy there, you know. It's true. We're yeah. we're amidst the same. Uh, I think the aspect that we share is spite, which is great. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of keywords, an yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Actually, speaking of keywords, that is obviously what we're going to talk about for this episode. So we're going to go into what makes the keywords stand out on cards, why they're important, etc. Because again, a lot of spoilers that we're going to cover in this episode, lots of spoilers still yet to come as well. And as we kind mm. of prepare you for how to evaluate a card, we want to talk about those keywords but before we jump into the keywords and the spoilers it's time for us to do the wampa cave pole of the week all right well the cave pole this week was uh so there there was the one that you both suggested and the crime here is the fact that i have yet to watch ahsoka so i didn't want to do an ahsoka themed uh poll yet nor can you spoil it for me i will power bomb you through the internet the technology it's exists now. I, I just want to very quickly say uh so while i am caught up i would also like to say no discussions about it for this episode a so that flake can get caught up but b because we already have so much to cover and i could say a lot of things about the show both good oh. and bad i am very like so wildly over the spectrum on that show on things i love and things i hate so let's not derail this because i will oh. not shut up uh you know not to not to promote another podcast on this podcast but well, uh but, but monty and i just uh talked about the first two episodes on our latest episode of nerd legion so if you're if you're looking that up if you want to hear the discussion on it because man we had a lot to say about that and just new star wars in general as well uh, that that is out there I'll, i will say that i'll say no more than that <laughs> Nerd Legion is is out there and discussing it. I'm so glad you brought that up, uh, Doa, <laughs> because there was something I wanted to fit into the podcast, and I didn't know where to do it, so I was just okay. not going to do it at all unless it was referenced, which was the thumbnail for that said video about Ahsoka, <laughs> and the oh, face no. that you're making, which, uh, again, uh, if, if there's any breadcrumbs I'm leaving for people to come to the YouTube channel and subscribe to it, it's for stuff like this. If, I can explain. <laughs> please do. Well, so at the start of one, a few episodes ago, because they were just taking, they were just making thumbnail images about like expressions we made during the podcast. And it was, so it was a lot of me being like, and like just very neutral expressions. Um, and so I was like, Monty, at the start of the show, let's just make a bunch of crazy faces. And then they've got their like stockpile for thumbnails. Our editors will have that then. And so that's, that's where that came from. We just were making a bunch of random faces and now they keep popping up and I'm like, why did I make that face? I'm going to, I'm going to try it on the internet forever. <laughs> it's, I'm going to try to wedge it into our thumbnail. Why not? Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, here's what we're going to do. Let's all make a really silly thumbnail face right now. And then maybe I can have this for the future. Ready, set, go. 
<laughs> Charmer, you're the worst. Yours was literally just scolding me for the idea. Wow. You gotta you gotta commit. Oh. oh, he's been committing to this uh, to this bit for quite a while now, which is just... Oh, I, I actually have been committing to the bit for a very long time. So much so that that's the same... Here's my actual train of thought for that. Uh, do you remember when Harlem Shake was a thing? Yeah, oh, I was no. in one of those, <laughs> and that was those. the face I made for that as well. You that's were? How long I, yes, yeah. So that's how long I've been committing to that bit. <laughs> All right. Would I know this one? Probably not, no. Harlem Shake videos. Well, that's really... Uh, now we're taking it back. Uh, let's let's <laughs> no. talk about the the poll. I haven't of, heard that name for a long time. Oh, long time. <laughs> the of cave poll. He's me. The cave poll of the week. Quiet down, you two. The cave poll of the week. You're like those two. Uh, those two. Uh, um, the the two headed announcer from the Boonta Eve Pod race that <laughs> that was voiced by Greg Proops. Um, <laughs> So the cave poll of the week was: What planet would you want your uh, your vacation home to be on? And the options were Naboo, Tatooine, Coruscant, and Endor. And I tried to get a vast array of mm. different ecosystems, environments, and I did not put Hoth on there because I thought okay. that it was. I already live in Hoth, and I'm. I didn't want that as an option. Me too. Yeah. I would have chosen Hoth if it was an option. The one that I actually was hoping was going to be on was Dagobah. Oh, all right. I heard the mosquitoes are terrible, though. <laughs> yeah, but nobody's going to bother me out there. Yoda had it right. There you go. Well, I <laughs> guess... exile. Yeah, yeah, you could, like, totally Unabomber yourself there and just hide and build a Whoa. hut. Well... That went from zero to hundred real fast. Oh, I'm sorry. Did Yoda not talk is, about? Is Yoda not wait. responsible for the lives of probably a, a countless individuals? I mean, sure. the morality what, aspect the, is different. You make but. him sound like he's Chopper, though. Well, yeah, Chopper is much more bloodthirsty, but that's a, that's a whole different story. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Dagobah is not on it. But uh, uh, what what would your again? You said you wanted to, uh, Dagobah. Hoth's not on there. There's plenty of options again, limited to only four choices. But Charmer, without Dagobah, which of these four were your uh, did tickled your fancy so the most? I did select Naboo. I'm part of the majority. I think most of them selected it because of the serene landscapes the nice palace but i selected it because if i didn't have dagobah then i could hang out with the gungans but not jar jar like the ones just under the water who want to be you know to themselves a little bit of a hermit and that was that was my go-to i feel like the residents of otogunga would eventually just be like okay this guy is absolutely cramping our style like we'll put him in his own little bubble pod not give him a rebreather and just be let like me, let me i guess further rough. elaborate when it comes to my smucker's face as flake <laughs> likes to call it that's the most gungan i think you can get and i just commit wow. uh, it, it looks no want to see that <laughs> it looks like all gungans have really bad lip fillers like they just had the worst plastic surgery ever you ever see those like those pictures or videos of like like people who get really bad like lip filler jobs and then oh just, yeah yeah they just look like they look like Jar Jar Binks um, yeah aren't uh, aren't the Kardashians part Gungan right like oh no yeah I believe their their full names are uh, I believe it's Kim Kardashian Nass I think they're of the, they're of the Nass <laughs> Nass descendants you know. I never watched any of that. I know I know a lot of people did, even accidentally, but I managed to to dodge it all. So you are everything I know about it, I know against my will. 
I think you um, have the force. That's what it is, Doa. If, <laughs> if I would have been born in the core systems, I would have been identified sooner. That's that's what I've heard. Yeah. So what have you selected in this, Doa? Um, you know, I I would probably lean towards Endor. I like the forested environments, but but I kind of you know if I could choose any planet, um, I would choose a uh, Scarif. I mean, uh, tropical paradise there. I mean, aside from the part that was shot by the super laser, but it was only you know it was only a single um, you know what single something ignition or whatever it was they they said in, in Rogue One. I can't remember. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's not the whole planet. So, you know, I think it's probably pretty nice. The Empire's probably out of there now. Their records facility was destroyed. So, yeah, Scarif's probably pretty nice this time of year. Scarif was on the short list again. I had a, I had about eight. Uh, Mustafar was an option, too, that I threw on there. <laughs> I could get behind that. You have a good uh, variety of biomes represented. Thank you. Lamu, actually, as somebody who has been to Iceland, and I loved it, uh, Lamu, those scenes are filmed in Iceland, like uh, Rainus Fiera oh. Beach. So, hmm. Tatooine was uh, here. So I chose Naboo as well because I think it was the it, hmm. it's the climate and the 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 environment that it seems the most comfortable. Which is, it probably has nice and warm summers and mild winters. It has the you know the rolling mountains and 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 lush greenery. Plus, you have. There's a there's a nice array of actual wildlife there. Not like on Endor where they're all poking you with spears and trying to cook you and stuff. Uh, Very uh, questionable uh, forms of government though, with like teenagers being elected to like run the whole uh, you know planet or whatever it is. I'm I'm a little bit concerned about that aspect of it. But but you did say elected. You did say elected. Yeah. So they're they're why would they be? So I would have to imagine it's it's like a it was really only sort of like a a um you know it, it was like an honorary position right you know because for being the queen of Naboo Padme seemed to certainly be free to just like jet off and go on these adventures and do whatever who was governing the planet while she was gone I know the Trade Federation was blocking things but still you know. I have some serious questions about the efficacy of uh, this this government. She was at the Naboo version of Mar-a-Lago a lot. I would imagine. I, I was just about to say I can't be very judgmental as an American, so I felt like Senator. We, sh- we can demand better. Amidala would be an upgrade for most of my elected officials. Well, uh, vote me next year. Uh, you you would make a, a beautiful princess for sure. I would be disappointed, but. Maybe not as disappointed. So the results being Naboo, by and large, uh, by a wide margin, the the vast majority. I think we had over 200 votes on this one, too, which was great. Wow. So 63.2% selecting hmm. the wonderful, beautiful landscape of Naboo. In second place, 16.9%. Endor, the forestry, you know, nice lush forest. Like Coruscant. Coruscant, the the metropolis city, the the city of all cities, Coruscant at fifteen percent, and finally Tatooine, four point nine percent. And as somebody who just got back from Las Vegas, I can absolutely see why this was never even an option. I mean, I feel like I just moved from Tatooine to Hoth, uh, you know, back in May. So uh, you know, it's, I I don't miss it too much either. I mean. It's got so much sand, which is oh, I'm not even gonna do it. You know, you know what I was gonna say. You know, I don't think we. Have I just wasn't gonna pick a planet where apparently slavery is legal. So oh, that is awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... The Republic banned that, though. You know, oh, these are outer rim territories. Uh, yeah, this is true. This isn't Endor. This is the forest moon of Endor. Okay. Yeah. Um, Good to note. Good to note. Well, you did just put Endor on the poll, though. Yeah. So what but... is the actual planet Endor like? 
That's like, imagine it's just like hmm. it, it's just like Detroit. <laughs> it's like Rich Charbers. Where he's like, damn, where's that come from? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. All right. <laughs> I actually like Detroit. So what do uh, I know? I've only been through the airport. It was it was not a friendly experience, but you know I won't judge the whole city for that. So we have headlines, not uh, a whole lot. We got a slew of spoilers that we're going to go crush through. But before that, let's talk a little bit about some of the information. Again, we are recording this on August 31st. It's about the, it's a, a shade away from 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. So starter deck reveal. I think that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest point of information here. We got the starter decks and the information being that it's coming as a two-player set. And all the cards are listed in the back, so you know what you're getting here. What are your thoughts, Doa, about a two-player set in general and the Star Wars two-player set? I mean, it's great. I think uh, I tweeted about this, uh, or I, I X'd about uh, this. No, I don't just, know. Anyway. Yeah. I, I posted uh, on the platform about this um, that I, I think it's always a great thing for new games to have a two-player starter set. Uh, you know, of course, that just makes it easier to get in and play. Um, it's very easier to buy a single-player starter deck and then just not use it. Um, you can have the intent to play, but this really kind of gives you the tools to just get in and do it, which I think is very important for getting people playing, getting them wanting to build their own decks, getting them to, you know, buy more into the product. So, yeah, I think it's great. Um, for me, it, it kind of reminds me of the old Star Wars CCG two-player starter from way back when. That was also a, a Luke versus Vader kind of marquee thing. Yep, there you go. I've got mine, uh, mine uh, in the in storage now, actually. But uh, but yeah, that was a great set too. A great introduction to a different Star Wars card game. So I was really happy to see them do that. Um, and uh, I watched their playthrough with the starter decks, and uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Charmer, I, I think that this is you already got to play the game multiple times. Yeah. So um, yeah, lucky, definitely lucky. But. I think a part of the difficult aspect of this is probably going to be balance, and I really hope that they're actually balanced to that degree. But I've I've always liked the the fact that you can just pick up one product, and Flesh and Blood did it with the classic battles and and all that. They I don't say they didn't feel balanced, but this mm-hmm. this these two player sets are kind of complex. But the difference is is that. Well, I mean, you can buy individual starter decks, wherein some of them are probably going to be more coveted or, or this. I think these just off the shelf, bring it home, invest like 40 bucks and try it is a nice entry point. I, that, I'm i glad you said that. That's what I was waiting to highlight. So I agree with everything that Doa said. And the only thing that I was going to add is that to me, this being something that is very easy to put on a shelf is a very big win because much like we're seeing with Lorcana, we're getting a bunch of people who've never played card games before kind of dive in because of Disney Lorcana. And when you take a product like this, a two-player starter, and I've been saying since the get-go, what I want is there to be something that you can put on the shelf at Galaxy's Edge, right? You're walking around uh, the Star Wars amusement park, and then you're in the gift shop, and hey, here's a game I can go home, and it's everything I need to play, right? I can play with my kids, I can play with a friend, whatever. To me, that's the real big win here, is that there's just something that very nicely contains everything you need to play that you can put on the shelf both at big box stores, at LGSs, but also in the amusement parks. Other than that, there were uh, basically leaked. I mean, this is not big information. It's merely just be prepared, as it were. Uh, FFG plans to, has essentially scheduled three new streams for September. Uh, September 6th, there will be 
a new st- a stream diving into another of the aspects, which I would suspect they're going to reveal a couple cards that are very, you know, very strong within that aspect. September 20th, booster pack contents and rarity discussion. This is something... That'll be interesting. Yes, and I, I poked and prodded them about this at one of their other streams, and they said, this is a whole separate thing. Yeah, uh, I asked about it at Gen Con, and they were like, yeah, we haven't mentioned anything publicly about that for a reason, so I'm very excited for this. La- last one is, uh, and then we'll talk about each one that sort of picks our interest the most, but September 27th, a week later, is going to be products that are available, their price points, organized play, and more. I feel like this one is kind of the first major step onto the scene and say, here's what's coming, here's how you can prepare, decide whether you want to really get get interested in this. Yeah, I wonder, when I see all this happening in September, part of me wonders a little bit if it's, if it's a little bit early. Like, how are we going to fill the time between that announcement and when the game actually comes out, you know? And that's, that's kind of like, obviously, like, I think there'll be another wave of hype when it gets closer, but I I do sometimes worry about not just card games, but video games and stuff in general, kind of like, uh, you know, getting information out there a little bit too early. Um, and then, you know, the hype kind of dies away a little bit. So I, I, I wonder, I wish the game was coming sooner, but, um, well, I actually, I look at this and this gives me hope, you know, I do not have any inside information on the reveal, uh, for, release dates or anything like that they didn't disclose that at gen con but we've been hearing 2024 but i've said several Mm -hmm. times that that i think it's early 2024 based on the pacing i think this just reinforces it and i've been saying that i think like late february early march makes the most sense when you look at their timeline for things with their aspect streams etc etc if that is the case i think that saying at the end of september hey, here's what the pricing is going to be for our products is probably the right time if you are trying to get people to put in pre-orders at their LGS. Hmm. Because I don't, do you think? Think, I don't think that you want to have it be too far out, like you said, but I don't think you want to spring it on folks either because I don't think that you want to have, one, like a repeat of what Lorcan is going through, but also I don't think that you want to have any situation where you don't have time to think about like what what kind of product I want, et cetera, from the LGS level as well. And I don't know what's been can you know uh, communicated to them. But when I think about mm-hmm. like if I'm a store owner and I'm thinking about stocking it, I I also want to know that price stuff. And I I suspect that this is when it's going to be announced to everybody. So that gives the stores enough time to plan ahead. The one that uh, kind of obviously organized play all three of us are very invested in that for various reasons products price points etc september 27th is going to be a very significant stream the one that i think is going to be the most telling in terms of the future and the 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 viability of players getting into the game is going to be the september 20th stream which is the booster pack contents and rarity discussion and we're going to talk about this a little bit with some of the cards we're going to reveal but i have been very vocal of the fact that if if the if too many playable cards are hidden behind exceptionally high rarity draw like seedings, uh, if legendaries are one per box and you need three of them to three copies of a card to put in a competitive deck, that drives the prices into the stratosphere and that becomes very difficult to get into. That turns a two hundred dollar competitive deck into an eight hundred dollar competitive deck potentially, which then prices mm-hmm. out 
an immense amount of people. So I think that that one will be might might be have the most uh, the most consequence to it. But I think from the perspective of just information drop, September twenty seventh is going to be pretty big. Yeah, there'll be a lot of info there with that, and and like you said, organized play. I think we all we all uh, like approaching things from the competitive side the best. Um, and while casual is a ton of fun, and that's probably how you normally engage with the game, uh, we like the competition. So it'll be fun to see what they've got planned with that. Yeah, I'm very excited for the September twentieth one, just because knowing what's in a pack, I think is. It's the information that you kind of need when you're thinking about, like, how do I approach draft and sealed deck? Mm -hmm. And I'm a big limited fan, right? So that matters to me. But I also think, like, in a vacuum, that's not the info you want. You you want to know what's in your booster packs, but then ultimately you need to know how many are coming per box, how many boxes are per case, you know, what's my distribution? Like, what are... I love that it says products and price as well. So, like, what are the other products potentially? We know they have the Game Genic partnership, but is there even more we don't know about? That's another reason I'm really excited for that one at the end of the month. I think that's going to be the big one that clears up a lot for us. All right, new cards. There's tons of them. So we will be as thorough yet yet swift as Concise. possible. Concise is the best word. Oh. Yes. Um, all right, let's begin with the first card. We're going to do these in chronological order as far as I, I can tell. Uh, we have Luke's Lightsaber. It is a uh, two-drop upgrade. It is Heroism and Vigilance. It says, attached to a non-vehicle unit. When played, if attached unit is Luke Skywalker, heal all damage from him and give him a shield token. It offers plus three, plus one. I think this card is a... I mean, just think of it from the perspective of what us as Wampa Radio, the theme and, and everything. As soon as he gets access to the lightsaber in the Wampa Cave, everything changes. He becomes strong again. He frees himself. He becomes, you know, a badass. So he heals himself. He gives himself a shield, which is essentially the defensive capability of the lightsaber. Plus, he's beefed up. I like this card. Yeah, I think thematically they did a very good job with it, too. Even down to, like, where it gives you, if you're not Luke and you're swinging around, you might be, you know, have more power, but you're not going to necessarily be more well defended from it. It's only plus one defense. Unless you're Luke, then you get the shield token as well. Um, I do I do have to address the Bantha in the room. That yes. Technically, it's Anakin's lightsaber constructed by, by his father, Anakin, um, and then passed down to Luke via Obi-Wan. But, you know, Luke has a certain amount of ownership over it, too, and I, I get that, uh, you know, maybe it it uh, is is done this way to avoid confusion with more mainstream fans, but yeah, or that does bother me a little bit. But I was going to say, perhaps they're leaning into the Ezra-Sabine explanation as well. Yeah, but I... Still, I don't know if yeah, I really. Yeah. I'm, am, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, with that, but, but I'm yeah. just, uh, I'm saying maybe that, maybe that entire episode was for them to explain this card. That's what I'm gonna go with. They, well, so they... then, <laughs> the question is, if they make a card for his lightsaber that he does himself construct later on in in uh, between Empire Strikes Back and Jedi, what do you call that? Luke's actual lightsaber. Luke's Luke's it, new lightsaber. You know what it'll be called? Yeah. It'll be called it'll be called the well actually Luke's lightsaber is what it is. <laughs> That's right. I suspect what will happen is they might even just straight up call it Luke's lightsaber but just make it different aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Actually that's a that's a that's a great point. Wow. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. yeah. 
Because you could even argue that Luke is going through some stuff when he builds that, and he's conflicted. You could make that something like, you know, heroism cunning or even heroism aggression or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say, heroism aggression, because that's the Luke that starts force-choking Gamorrean guards. So Yeah, that is a great uh, point. Wow, okay. You know? Nice. You've totally sold me on this. Uh, They do Uh, release a different one with different aspects like that. Too yeah. deep on the cards because I know we're trying to keep it concise. So I will just yeah. say that this card is a nightmare. I really like it uh, just because if you are somebody trying to get rid of an opposing Luke, you have to almost do it all in one go because otherwise you're like, all right, if I attack into Luke to weaken him and I don't take him out outright, what if they play Luke on, as their action or excuse me, Luke's lightsaber as their action, right? And now I think it's healed and I've done mm. nothing. So like this, this card's pretty good. Um, I just want to, again, the, the Bantha in the room, you're totally right. If, if we can all rewind about three or four months when Lord of the Rings magic came out and they released the card, you cannot pass. And everybody's like, it's actually, you shall not pass. I've seen the movie. And then there's the other group are like, well, actually, actually. So we're going to, this, this is not just for Star Wars fans. This is for everybody. Everybody gets uh, a little bit riled up. When things but we're are... more right. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's That's be real. the important thing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, next card up. Uh, Charmer, walk us through this one. Uh, this is a Gladiator Star Destroyer. It is a six-cost command and villainy space unit. Has a 5-6 stat line. Is Imperial, uh, Imperial Vehicle Capital Ship. When played, give a unit Sentinel for this phase. Okay, so Love it. Um, another bath in the room. I absolutely, I know what you're gonna say, Charmer, because you're Charmer. You're gonna play this, and you're gonna say you're gonna give Sentinel to something that people are not gonna be happy about, and then you're gonna say, "Are you not entertained?" I know because it's a it says Gladiator <laughs> on it. So just say it, Charmer. Just go get it out of the way. Are you not entertained? You know what? Now you're just. Anyway, one more time with feeling. Yeah, please. I'm trying. I'm trying not to do that to our poor listeners. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. You know what? Fair I think headphone warning. We've yeah. had a lot of kind words said to us in the past week about our content, and I think it's because we are who we are. So, go go. Yeah, for that's it. that's fair. Um, are you not fair. entertained? <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna do that at the LGS every time. Uh, You're I'm, absolutely right. I'm glad I have this because this is. I told you guys that I was gonna make like a new intro with a lot of various clips, but now that Doa came on, we need a little bit more uh, content so I can pick and choose. That oh. is certainly gonna be in there. It's gonna be a charmer saying. Here, I'll give you one. Well, actually. Oh, perfect. There, there's, there's a clip for you. Yeah. <laughs> With the glasses going up and everything. Yep. Um, so this card, I think, is excellent. Uh, and again, when it says the phase, it just means that for the, the your opponent's follow-up action, there will be a Sentinel keyword on whatever unit you give this in. Um, mm. I, I like, I think that the stat line is obviously low for what the deploy and the restrictions are. A 5-6 for 6, I think, is a little understated. But giving something Sentinel just gives you protection of not just the gladiator starship but other other potential units as well your base etc you can give it on something that is just small that they might not want to have to run over in order to to get access just buying yourself time or you slam it on the biggest thing i think that this is going to be an annoying card for a lot of uh, a lot of people especially in limited yeah i mean and it's a common as well so this is meant to be sort of like a a workhorse mid to late 
game card for you know casual decks probably and and you might see it in competitive decks i suppose again we don't know the scope of what we're gonna have access to in the first set but but uh certainly giving something sentinel can create a lot of annoying points for your opponent so it might find a uh, fine use there but i think stats wise and all that you look it's a common it's a pretty good common i would say just based on what we've seen already but at the end of the day it is just a common card so not meant to be bank breaking but i do like another example of imperial might you know control villainy, big starship want to clarify uh, flake it's not just the next action they take it's basically for that entire turn so like when they say phase the action phase is part mm -hmm. of a turn oh. and that's where you're going actions back and forth perfect and so it's actually much better than it seems it's not like oh they only have to wait like one action because they could just pass it's for that turn essentially it just doesn't have it during like regroup phase in case that matters for anything uh because that's when you're readying stuff and etc i appreciate it the mm -hmm. next card doa i think is going to be a very significant uh, card to play. Oh, yeah. Overwhelming Barrage. Another control villainy card. Another Imperial Might space card. Cost five. Give a friendly and a plus two plus two for this phase. Once again, that's for the for the entire action phase. Then it deals damage equal to its power divided as you choose among any number of units. Yeah, imagine, you know, playing, playing Vader and then, uh, you know, playing uh, the, if presumably Vader survives to the next turn and then the next turn you throw this down suddenly you're doing you, you got a big big Vader for that phase but then you also have a huge amount of damage to just throw at your opponent's side of the board too so this could in combination with uh, with other cards be very very strong it's an uncommon you can see it's meant to be a little bit better but uh, you know it I, I wonder how accessible five cost is in a game um, as far as like how often are you going to be spending that much on something like this. But at first glance, it seems like a, a very good card. I'm looking at this card and the first thing I think of is that remember Charmer when you when you created that sweeper that like deal two to all space yeah. units. Uh, this what I'm seeing between this and the Emperor I'm feeling like AOEs, like sweeper cards that deal damage to multiple things, are going to more more or less have maybe some of this flavor of, like, the key element to this is divide it as you choose. So it's not like, I can see this card, I would play this card of give something plus two plus two, and then it deals damage to a unit equal to its power. I would play it at that. This means that you are not provided change, that you're just every ounce every little bit of efficiency gets used here this card is crazy yeah the other thing that i want to just really quickly highlight is that i love it is divided as you choose among any number of other units and not enemy units so you can use this to send one damage at your admiral Mahdi, for example if you then want to get his when defeated trigger i also Great just point. happen to notice that it is the, the unit deals the damage, and while we haven't seen a lot of cases uh, on, on attack triggers, things like that, sure, but we haven't seen a lot of cases where there's any sort of, like, slay keyword, but in the future, in future sets, if there is something where, like, when a unit destroys something, it gets X, Y, or Z, this card suddenly becomes that much more impressive because it makes the unit deal the damage. So those are just two things I wanted to kind of highlight because they're interesting design choices. All right, we got the the boy himself, the <laughs> the guy most who... chokeable admiral. 
<laughs> I was just about to say, you know, I just mentioned uh, Mahdi, but you know who else is also chokeable is Admiral Ozel. So I'll take this one. This is a two-cost villainy aggression unit. Uh, it is on the ground, has a unique qualifier, is an Imperial official. 2-3 stat line, action, and then you exhaust him. Play an Imperial unit from your hand, paying its cost. Now, that part is interesting. It enters play ready. Each opponent may ready a unit. So you still have to pay for the unit, but because it enters play ready, you can get some potentially you know additional benefits from it, which is a really interesting choice. Oh, the, them mm. the thematic on pointedness of this because we were discussing about the fact that oh like what did he do wrong well he came out of hyperspace too close to the planet uh trying to catch him off guard well the game text is essentially that drop on in but you're essentially pulling an ozzle and letting your opponents know that you're there when you shouldn't so they are able to ready ready up i i this is going to be a card, in my opinion, that has to pair well with a particular strategy of readying something up. But I think, in general, I don't, I'm not a big fan of this card, but I'm not a deck builder. I'm not an innovator. So this, for me, there's there's some stuff left on the toilet. I know, I know you're, you're, you're ready to roll. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to say you are correct. There is a way that you deck build with this, and that's the other reason I love it. This is an aggression card, and we've already seen aggression is potentially going to care about initiative. And where this card shines is if you have initiative and it's your first action and you have no enemy units on the board, you get to play your unit and they get no benefit. So it's keeping you know, initiative is being something that matters. Now, when I say board, it just means in the zone that's relevant, right? It's not like mm -hmm. you have to keep their entire board clear, but if you are, you know, focused on the ground sector, for example, and you have the initiative and there's no enemy units on the ground, then you just basically give a unit uh, haste, you know, or the equivalent from any other game by playing them through Admiral Ozzel. Yeah, potentially very, very strong, but... Uh, also one of those cards that like probably the later the game goes the the less good it gets unless it is a situation like you're talking about where you're playing it very early in the action phase you know before your opponent has had a chance to exhaust any of their cards to to do anything uh, with it um that is it is very interesting and i and i i gotta agree with flake like i think i i posted about this too on on the social media site that shall not be named because of the confusion around it, um, that uh, this is it's the the best thematic card I've seen yet come out. I, I think it's just perfect, um, and so I'm I'm very happy to see it. I also love the smug expression on his face too. It <laughs> it captures the essence of Admiral Ozel's um, hubris, shall we say, before he is brought low by the the icy grip of the Force via Vader. <laughs> that that face looks like this should be Admiral Oswalt. Because <laughs> it's me in the mirror. I'm so happy with myself. He's, that face says, this is going to be the best day ever. <laughs> oh, and then the power goes oh. out. <laughs> uh, next up is a card I think at the common slot is exceptional. And it is the Rogue Operative. It is a three-drop ground unit with uh, cunning and heroism. A Rebel Trooper 2-4 on the stat line. It is built in come stock with saboteur and raid two you're getting you're getting a lot for a common here i, I really yeah. like this card 
Yeah, you really are. Um, I I still I get a little bit nervous when I see Saboteur because uh, the keyword just defeats all shields. We'll probably get into that a little bit later when we talk about keywords, but that is extremely strong. I mean, all shields, not just one shield, right? So it'll be interesting to see how that ends up playing out. Um, this is a card that, like, I kind of feel like you might just want to play it in a, a lot of your decks, regardless of the aspect even. Um, you know... If you're missing an aspect and have to pay the two extra, is five for this effect too expensive? It it seems to be, but at the same time, like there's situations where you're paying five for a four four with saboteur, essentially. You know, assuming that you know raid obviously is where I'm I'm talking about giving it a a four four rather. Did I say five five? I meant four four. Um, paying five for a four four with saboteur um, still seems pretty decent. So. Yeah, this this card is looking again with only having the information that we have. This card looks pretty strong. The only thing that jumps out to me is I'm surprised it's not aggression. It's likely because I think this first set is going to be very heavy on the heroism versus villainy aspect of the game, but this sure. could very easily be a cunning aggression card to me. Uh, the saboteur part cunning makes sense but raid 2 feels very aggressive and it's just like you said right if you're on aspect if you're paying three for this and it is a functionally a four four saboteur like that feels very aggressive to me so i'm saying um, you might play this off aspect you know yeah other than that like i i do like this card and i think flake also hit the nail on the head that the common slot means this is going to be a powerhouse in draft oh yeah all right, we got a what, probably one of my favorite cards. Again, I'm going to be collecting everything that has Han Solo on it in its premier, top-notch, best quality possible. So if they create some sort of super foil of this, I will be on the hunt. But this card, I'm ta I executive decision. I'm taking this one. Uh, I'm taking Go for it. it. Shoot first. A trick, an event, a one-cost, cunning aspect. Attack with a unit. It gets plus one, plus zero for this attack and deals its combat damage before the defender. So essentially what you're doing is you're giving a unit plus one, plus zero, and first strike, which can, at, if well-timed and if properly, you know, and again, in a game where there's no instant speed kind of combat tricks, this is a safe way to deal with a unit while protecting your own. I think the cost and the single aspect uh restriction on this means that there's a there's potential for this card to actually make it into non-cunning decks oh yeah. totally yeah i mean like you said just getting to strike first and getting to you know kill a equally powered unit um without losing your unit is super strong i'd pay for three for that sure why not think about yeah, it from, I, sorry go ahead I was just going to say, I can totally see that because even when you're like paying three, this is it's unit centric, but this is essentially removal in this game because there is no stack, no responses. Like when you play this, mm -hmm. it happens. And the plus one and first strike part is very relevant. I like this card a lot. Imagine. I, oh, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, imagine you've got your opponent's uh, Star Destroyer and your home one or your Mon Cal Cruiser. The the first thing you're thinking about is, okay, well, we'll just, maybe we toss them into each other and there's and it creates a neutrality because both are destroyed. If you're able to pay one to keep your ship alive and unharmed in that exchange, the advantage that that one resource is creating there is monumental. 
Yeah, uh, I I like the the flavor too with it. I mean, obviously, it's an iconic scene from from A New Hope, and and it's the uh, it seems to uh, pay uh, homage to the the original original scene uh, before the special edition where Greedo became the one to inexplicably shoot first and miss at two feet of range. Uh, which you know, even as even as a kid when that came out, I must have been like twelve or thirteen when the special editions came out. And I saw that and I was like, wait, wait, what a sec, wait a second, Han shot first. And even if they want Kyoshu, how do you miss at that range? So I'm glad we got a card that sets things right, establishes officially once more that Han did indeed shoot first, just like he did on that VHS box set right over my shoulder there. I don't know if it's uh, it's if it's cut off or not, but it's right there. So I'm I'm glad to see that. It warms my heart. <sighs> so can we, can we say that they've made amends for the Luke's lightsaber catastrophe from 20 minutes ago? Okay, we'll move no. on. <laughs> no, <it's> not... <laughs> All right, who wants to go next? Uh, I, I haven't. I feel like I haven't done one in, in a little while. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, here's an asteroid sanctuary. Uh, two cost, cunning, exhaust an enemy unit. Wow. Give a shield token to a friendly unit that costs three or less. So protect something small. But uh, I think just straight up exhausting an enemy unit is a probably pretty powerful ability, especially for a common. Um, so this is a card I would imagine that's going to see a, a fair amount of play. Certainly if you're playing a cunning deck, you're going to be putting it in there. Um, again, another, you know, potentially is it worth four to exhaust one of your opponent's units at just the right time? It might be. So... Yeah, I, I think it looks like another very good card. Yeah, and that's I really like that a lot of the reveals we've seen so far, many of them feel like very usable cards in a in a competitive sense. Um, there's not a lot of ones I've seen where I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, that's that's fun that that's in there, but I'm not really, I wouldn't put it in a deck. I think a lot of the stuff I've seen so far seems like good cards that I'd want to use, which is which is cool to see. I like that. Uh, this... This is the potatoes that goes to some meat that we're going to see later on. This card pairs so well with with probably the biggest card in this reveal pool. So I'm ready to move off of this one. If Charmer, you got some thoughts on this one? Uh, no, I was just going to add that I love the, the flavor again, right? So the art is the Millennium Falcon hiding in the asteroid, asteroid sanctuary, and you exhaust the unit you're running from shield yourself i just thought it was a nice flavorful way to showcase that oh uh, hit yeah. us hit us with uh, the next one then so the next one is general veers this is a three cost villainy ground unit uh it's unique because it's you know general fears uh it's an imperial official with a three three stat line and it says other friendly imperial units get plus one plus one so this is kind of our first real look i mean we got some hints obviously with some of the other imperial and rebel cards but this is our first real look at like a true quote-unquote tribal deck if you're coming from like magic mm -hmm. the gathering for example where you've got all your cards where it's you know elves get plus one plus one or merfolk or whatever that is this but for imperials but the fact that it's single aspect in villainy i think is the most important piece here because that means that However you want to assemble your Imperial deck, you'll have a lot of leeway and you can still play General Veers in it. Yeah, not much to add to that. I mean, he's good statted, 3 for a 3-3, three, three, right in line, uh, buffs everything else. I mean, yeah. 
if you come from Magic the Gathering, you've seen uh, cards that do the same thing, like uh, Charmer mentioned, the the tribal kind of thing. And a lot of games have this type of thing, and it's it's always something you like to draw. So I'm glad we've got that for uh, for Imperials too. Yeah, the next tribal boss, I suppose, uh, is is essentially its arch nemesis, Doa. What do we got? General Dodona, which it's interesting to me. I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't really notice this before right now, but he is a four for four four. While Veers is a three for three three, which which is interesting. Um, and if you go back to sort of the general vibe of power levels of Imperial versus Rebel, in the past, in various games, Imperial units uh, in general have been lower statted than Rebel units because they're treated as more chaff. They're more, you know, they're more, you know, factory printed stormtroopers tie fighters and all that you overwhelm with numbers you know you don't necessarily go by individual quality whereas rebels the idea is that everyone brings their own unique skills to the rebellion and each individual is is more important so i kind of like that little bit of flavor there too that the rebels get that one one at a slightly higher cost but that's probably good balance wise because the rebels individually will probably be stronger than the imperial units individually so that that at first glance that might seem odd, especially because Dodona's like, you know, a senior citizen and Veers is in the prime of his life physically. So how could these, you know, be separate numbers wise? But I think balance wise for the game, it's gonna work out well to have the rebel one be a little bit more expensive. Like I said, the general vibe after we went through general Veers and general Zadana. So it was definitely <laughs> a general vibe. Yeah. Yeah, it is also just on theme for other cards we've seen revealed as well. So this has the Rebel being one stat line higher for cost earlier. We saw the Lieutenants when they were originally revealed. I had mentioned how we have Fleet Lieutenant and Snowtrooper Lieutenant, and I mm -hmm. liked that they kept the Lieutenants doing kind of the same thing because they're basically the same card. It's just Fleet Lieutenant is a 3-3 three, three for 3, does the same effect. Snowtrooper Lieutenant is a 2-2 two, two for 2, does the same effect. And so this is, again, right in line with that, which is very good for helping new players with their expectations, right? You want the cards that are similar to do similar things, but this gives them some variety as well. Yeah. As a rebel, you have less to work with, but what you have is more versatile and maybe higher individual quality. Next up is a vigilance, uh, a vigilance event. It is called It Binds All Things. It is a force tribal, as it were. Two-cost vigilance tag. Heal up to three damage from a user. Uh, from a user. From a unit. If you control a force unit, you may deal that much damage to another unit. Now, it doesn't mean that you're healing from a force unit. It's just if you control one on the board, you may mm -hmm. use that damage and basically drop it uh, somewhere else. I... I think that this this I think that this card obviously uh this card I think is really bad like exceptionally laughably bad if you don't have a force unit. I don't think I'm ever paying 2 to heal 3, but if you do have hmm. the force unit, I think that it's above rate. Uh I, like now that is saying obviously, like obviously that's how they built the card to be. But what I genuinely believe is that if you're running a force-driven, vigilance-based deck, this is an immediate three of, and it, it, it is a great card to have. Being able to keep your stuff alive and maybe snipe something, something like this will take out um, 
what is it like a, a tie interceptor? Like you could just heal Luke's on the ground. Maybe you heal uh, your your two one B unit and you you snipe a, a tie interceptor out of the sky. Somehow it binds all things. It doesn't yeah. bind all things. <laughs> Interesting application of uh, of the philosophy of the force with this with this card, but uh, and the the image. I, I don't know about the image along with this card. I feel like we could use a different image for this card. Because um, it's it's Luke, you know, picking up Anakin's lightsaber uh, when he's in the, the Wampa Cave. But, uh, you know, but and, and, and it's a cool image, but I don't know if this one fits the card for me. That's my only criticism. I like the card. I think it's, uh, I think it's cool in terms of uh, gameplay mechanics and all that. Um, and again, you know, you obviously you get a lot more value if there's a Force user out there, but I would imagine most... Uh, Rebel decks will attempt to do that. Um, but yeah, for me, the only thing that sticks is that I just feel like this isn't the right image for the card. But I'm, I'm picky about that kind of stuff. So I think the implication is that we know Luke was beaten up by the Wampa. And so you play this and he heals himself and then deals the damage to the Wampa. And that's why they chose this, right? It's like... Yes, but he didn't right heal it, himself right in the movie. Well, you are correct, but... I think that's what they were what they were going for. The, the problem is there's not really a good like redirect because that's almost what this feels like to me, right? This is almost mm. like, um, you know what actually would be a really cool image for this. This feels to me like uh, deflecting a blaster bolt in some ways. Yeah. Or or where Yoda absorbs the force lightning, you know, and then uh, deflects it, right? So yeah. uh, in in the prequels, so. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't have a problem with the card. I just feel like it's not the right image for it. You know, the image for me but is it's is, nitpick. But, but I, like, I've been. But the thing about it is, I think that we've been spoiled because a lot of it has been spot on for for so many of the cards. Be it the game yeah, text. For sure. Um, to me, it's Luke on Dagobah, upside down, floating rocks, and the binds all things aspect. As you see, R two also levitating mm. a bit. I think that that's. But I, I really like the ab- absorbing the force lightning and the blaster deflection to me, I think that you could have just called this blaster deflection or, Mm. you know, something along those lines, but all right. The big boy, the big boy, Doa. Wow. Doa, you can get the big boy and, and you can get his, you can get his toy charmer. I, I want the toy because that one made me upset. So I, I I know where we're going with that. Yeah. I can't wait for this. Go for it. Um, so, we got Boba Fett, uh, which I think is this our only our, our second legendary that's been uh, revealed. I I think it is just a second. The first one was Vigilance itself. Yes. Here's another one. Um, Boba Fett costs three. He's a three five, so great stats obviously for the cost. Underworld bounty hunter, cunning villainy. Um, uh, perfect aspects, I think. Um, on attack, if this unit is attacking an exhausted unit that didn't enter play this round, deal three damage to the defenders. So, like you mentioned. Excuse me. Like you mentioned earlier, Flake, this calls back to Asteroid Sanctuary, which lets you for a very low cost exhaust an enemy unit. So you do that. You play Boba Fett. You've caught him. You do some damage to your opponent. You know, again, as long as the other unit didn't interplay this round, um, which is an obvious thing because units generally enter exhausted. So you kind of have to, you know, put that text in there. I think to make it uh, not be too broken. But uh, but it's a it's a really good card. It looks uh, it looks strong. Good stats. Um, I'm sure there's going to be. A, I, I would love to see some weapons that uh, some weapon upgrades for Boba Fett that you can throw on him to uh, to do a little bit more with that. 
I do think it's funny that is his uh, subtitle is Disintegrator because he was explicitly told no disintegrations, and yet here we are disintegrating. So Boba, come on, you were warned. I'm actually really happy you called out the subtitle because I was going to as well because that's also what the game text is doing. He's literally disintegrating the target before it has a chance to respond. This is very cool because if the three damage would kill the defender, this on attack trigger, my understanding of it anyways, this would kill it before Boba even gets in combat. Like this is even a step above like what we see with uh, shoot first, for example, this is just straight up like, hey, on attack, I get this trigger. Oh, by the mm. way, I disintegrated your unit. So I also love that they chose disintegrator for this. Now, I uh, I think when this was revealed in our in our private chat, I said, wouldn't it be cool if there was a Mandalorian upgrade, like a, a snare or a flamethrower, that upon deploying it, it exhausted an opposing unit? And then I saw Asteroid Sanctuary with the same aspect. Mm -hmm. And not only that, look at Asteroid Sanctuary. It's not just exhaust an enemy unit. Put a shield on a unit that you control that has three or less cost. It's this doofus. Uh -huh. like, <laughs> this is the, this in my opinion, is the first bomb card that you build around. I feel like this is the first unit that your opponent, if you play and insulate it properly, your opponent is going to take multiple turns trying to figure out how to deal with this give it a shield it attacks it deals three damage it kills things efficiently you could protect it you can do all kinds of things boba fett for a, as a three drop three five alone is pretty sweet that's tr absolutely draftable but the the fact that he can now throw hands and probably take nothing back this is going to be a mid-range powerhouse even without the bells and whistles, like I look at this and I say, this fights like a six five. Mm, yeah, True. right. Like paying three for a, a six five essentially, or what's even cooler is again, as long as you do the setup and you're attacking into an exhausted unit, this eats a shield too. So if you have a shielded unit with three or less health, Boba Fett can chew that up. Yeah, it's a good point. We should mention also that this was uh, this was revealed by our good friends at Hobby Hobbies and Happiness, a podcast, friends of the show. Absolutely, I've met them. I think you've met them as well, Charmer. Wonderful people, mm -hmm. great people. So a great yeah, Dan filled in for you. He did. He did. So this was your reward. I'll say we had nothing to do with it. We're just glad that you <laughs> you had the, take the credit. <laughs> you had the best reveal out of everybody so far, Dan. So congratulations on that. But it ain't over yet because there is a fatter, more uh, explosive Bantha in the room. <laughs> Charmer. Yeah. So also Close revealed by Hobbies in Happiness is uh, a six cost villainy cunning space unit. Uh, it has a five six stat line. Underworld vehicle transport works very well with Boba Fett. Says when played, if you control Boba Fett or Jango Fett as a leader or a unit, so that's also really important, then you can ready this particular space unit. Then it also says action, pay two, exhaust a non-unique unit. Now the important piece here is that you don't have to exhaust this unit itself. It's literally every time you pay the two into it. So you can just start exhausting stuff left and right. It's a control tool, but also sets up those, those Boba Fett moments. But, 
I have been not saying the name of said unit because it frustrates me. I immediately took to Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, when I saw this, because uh, the name of this particular unit is Fetz Fire Spray. And I'm here to tell you, it is not. It's Slave One. Okay, I know the card says Fetz Fire Spray, but this is and always will be Slave One. In fact, what I said on Twitter was not only will this always be Slave One, and look, like, I get it. I understand that you don't want to sell toys with the word slave on it, and that's ultimately what it comes down to, I think, is specifically the toys part. Because, like, when you look at the lore for Star Wars, Anakin's literally a slave that is, like, one through shooting dice and, and betting on races, right? Like, hey, we gambled and won a slave is the beginning of the biggest story arc of all of Star Wars. So you're not point. like anti-slavery as far as the Star Wars universe goes. It's just, I don't think that when they did B Book of Boba Fett, they wanted to sell toys with Slave on it. So they renamed it, uh, but it is Slave One. It'll always be Slave One. Um, what I said on Twitter was, imagine trying to rename the Millennium Falcon to something like Han's YT-1300 or, YT or whatever. Like you can't do it, right? So you don't get to rename this to, you know, Fett's Fire Spray. This is, in my estimation, this is our generation's Han shot first. Like, I will die on wow. this hill. This is, this is strong slave opinion. one. Yeah, well, you, like, you can't rename it to Fett's Fire Spray if it's been slave one for literally decades. Well, so there's been sort of an ongoing saga of what to call Boba Fett's starship. In fact, uh, when uh, Book of Boba Fett was out... And uh, kind of the in-between times with that, uh, the toys around it just literally said Boba Fett's Starship. Is that just what they called it? And I, I, I understand that the name Slave One makes people uncomfortable. That's, that is very understandable. And it's understandable that they would want to get away with that. Um, I, and, and the model of the ship is a fire spray. So, so technically, and so third technically of the, uh, of the, you know, show it, it technically is Fett's sp fire spray, but at the same time, that's not the original name of the ship. And and I agree that like slavery is a part of the universe, so it's kind of like it is more of a marketing thing. I get why the the old name is uncomfortable for people, and I don't blame them for wanting to get away from that. But uh, it is one of those things where it's like, and that opens up a whole new discussion, which is obviously much bigger than this podcast of you know. What, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you know, how far, how sensitive should we be about this name and that name and, and all that kind of thing? And that's that is a whole different uh, that's a different podcast. <laughs> but uh, but this is what we got. It's a good card, at least. I mean, I can understand, like we mentioned, I think can canonically it is still called Slave One. That hasn't changed. I think that within the, the lore, I think what they're doing is they're oh, literally hmm. just I, I believe so. I mean, it's mentioned. Is it not mentioned in the trilogies? Like the trilogies are gospel. So they don't they don't ever say the name of his ship in any of the movies, no. which which is another reason why, you know, I think it is more within their rights to mess with the name a little bit, because, yeah, you can't mess with the Millennium Falcon. That name is all over, you know, the the movies. Right. But they never do say the name of, of Boba Fett's Boba Fett's ship. Right. So, you know, there's more leeway there to to alter it but you know it is it is interesting watching the ongoing saga of what to call the thing boba fett rides in you know <laughs> besides uh the sarlacc he he was also in that for a while not exactly riding in it but well he wrote i wish he would have stayed inside but that's just me he wrote a rancor 
Oh no! Oh, please don't remind me. <laughs> he wrote a rancor. He absolutely just showed up. Like don't Clint, get me started. Clint Eastwood. Are we gonna get Fett's rancor later? Uh, oh, we, you know we are. You absolutely. <laughs> it's gonna be set fourteen, and it's gonna be can all. I just up- say, can I just say for a second about Book of Boba Fett? I love that the entire series. He's like, I have to protect my city. I have to protect all the people in my city. This is my city, and everyone is my family. And then in the end, he's like, Rancor! And he's just destroying the whole town. He's like bursting through walls and like jumping across homes and caving in roofs. And he like, releases King Boba. Kong in his own town. Like, yeah, and he rides it. Like, Boba, come on. Like, you know, it's... I don't know. So, Fett's fire spray. Fett's fire spray. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I think is just the the perfect um, support for the Fett man himself because of the fact that it has a built-in mechanic that is meant to enhance Boba Fett's ground unit, uh, exhausting a non-unique unit. And, um, I mean, we've seen Book of Boba Fett. We've seen what the the fire spray can do in terms of chasing down gangs and and speeder bike gangs and whatever like it's an it's an oppressive ship it's incredibly uh it's a very strong ship it's it's an assault style you know bigger starfighter to a degree it just and it's equipped to the gills with um seismic charges and stuff like that so yeah gotta love it i you know joe Do, i don't think we've ever got your um auditory impression of a seismic charge Oh, I mean, man, I remember that scene in the theater in, in uh, Attack of the Clones when that goes off and, and you're like, whoa, what was that sound? Everybody loved that. Yeah, that was cool. And then that became the sound everybody put in every movie trailer from then on. You know, in a world where something happens, you know, so now it just became that. Um, who's the guy that did uh, Inception? Oh, uh, Chris Nolan. Nolan, Oh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. He basically just decided that sound was going to be the entire soundtrack for every one of his movies from then on. It's a, it's a memorable sound. Hey, you you put that sound in a movie, uh, instant 5% increase on your Rotten Tomatoes score, at least from me every time. So far. Yeah. All right. We have, uh, that took, uh, that took a while, but rightfully so, because there was a lot of significant cards. We tried to be brief, but some of these required, uh, our insights and our angst but let's get to keywords we're going to talk about rancor if you will yes yes (laughs) our angsty yeah we're done we're don't you've been you you've been been too much charmerization of you and then we're not ready for this uh I, I can't take it from two fronts, okay? I can't. I can't defend two borders. Um, I'll try to rein it in. <laughs> so The rancor. Ah! If I was riding a rancor. I was going to say it. <laughs> okay. You clowns. Uh, so but, ambush. How about that keyword, huh? Let's go through them. I mean, we yeah. might as well talk about them. And uh, I mean, if we're going to rank them, we can talk about which ones we believe will be the strongest and the most uh, significant. But ambush being the first one where after you play a unit, it is ready. It can attack. This is essentially charge from, sorry, not charge, rush from Hearthstone. You can't attack a base, but the second it drops down, you can be aggressive with it. Yeah. I, I like this. Um, I a lot of card games um, use uh, you know the mechanic where you can attack as soon as you come into play, and then that's that is always going to be a problematic mechanic balance wise. Um, it's very easily it very easily becomes overpowered. So this new version of that that we're starting to see in a lot of card games over the years, 
um, I that is included here in Ambush, I think is much more reasonable, you know, where it's like, let's make it more of a board control mechanic instead of a just end the game faster mechanic. So so I, I like that. I mean, I'm glad it's in the game. I think it's going to be strong. Um, yeah, not much more to say about that. Yeah. I'm just a big fan thematically, both because the name Ambush is very fitting, but also at its core, this is, I think, meant to be a card game where your stuff fights each other, right? Like it's Star Wars. Mm -hmm. We want to have these battles. And so this is a keyword that really emphasizes, hey, you're going to have your two units fight each other. Let's make that happen. It's not one of those things that rewards you for kind of like trying to go around like Saboteur, which we'll get to, right? So uh, I just really like this thematically, and I think it's good for the game. I do think that it'll be powerful, but it's largely going to depend on what the cost ratio is for paying for this. So when you're talking about card evaluation, and we'll do an entire show on that, but basically whenever you have a keyword, you're kind of quote unquote paying for the keyword, usually in stats. And so we need to know how much that's going to cost to put ambush on your cards to see whether you can get those good two for one values or things like that. The one thing that I have come to believe now is like you mentioned, uh, I think that with all the cards we've seen, the amount of deal damage to this, attack this, I think that this game is meant to be played to drop units and lose units. I think that it's going to be fireworks throughout. This isn't going to be a game of, for example, in Magic, of control and counter spells and protection of like a certain key elements. I think it's going to be throwing haymakers back and forth and getting incremental advantages on exchanges. And, I, and Ambush, I think, is going to help out with that. All right, Grit. This unit gets plus one, plus O uh, for each damage on it. I think we've seen this with Chewbacca as one of the leaders. Grit, to me, I think is the more cards are coming out of being able to spread out damage on uh, however you want on particular units. If you're running a Grit deck, that's going to be pretty uh, pretty solid keyword to have. Yeah, one yeah. of the things... Uh, I was just going to say super quick. One of the things that I immediately think of when I see grit is the card that we just talked about during the reveals overwhelming barrage again, because that says any unit being able to overwhelming barrage on your unit, like with that's free and then use that to pump your grit unit means that overwhelming barrage could be like, you know, plus seven plus seven for the turn or something essentially like it's actually kind of absurd. Yeah, just uh, it it makes your guys uh, more of a, a porcupine, right? Where it's like, if you want to take out this unit, you better do it all at once. Otherwise, there's going to be a pretty major uh, damage cost for doing that. So I think it's a it's a fun dynamic to add to what we were just talking about, which is the boards fighting each other thing, you know, where there's more, which is ultimately like uh, the way I think games are more fun is if you, you know, play your pieces and your pieces are in conflict with each other. It's not just going to face all the time. I think that's a really fun way to play a lot of different games. So I'm glad that this uh, mechanic sort of is another thing that kind of enforces that style of play. So yeah, that's, that's cool. It's neat that it's a core mechanic because usually this is a feature that you see on like one or two cards, you know, it's a, it's an individual game text kind of thing. So it is interesting to see it be an actual mechanic now in this game. And I, I am very curious how often we're going to see it, what cards will bestow it on other cards. We have like Krennic, Krennic that can give like mini grit to uh, other units, right? Where they just get a flat plus one if they're damaged. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about the, what is the scope of the implementation for this keyword going to be? It's very interesting. I also, depending on how prevalent 
grit is. The other thing I wanted to point out is we've got cards like It Binds All Things that just say heal a unit, not heal a friendly unit. So -hmm. there might be plays as well where you literally heal an enemy unit and then attack into it with a big unit so that yours is taking less damage, right, on the exchange. Um, And then still also get the, you know, deal damage side of It Binds All Things, right? So, like, I like that grit creates the tension with the board, but also makes you think about healing in potentially a a completely different way. Well, uh, we That's saw big brain right there. We saw what happened when Ray healed that serpent thing to get that oh, ma- no. that magical. Uh, what was it? A flute or, or a dagger? It's like or a dagger. It was a yeah. dagger that had a map inexplicably in this game. I don't know. Don't, don't get me started. Don't get me started. All right. Next the, keyword. The dagger. <laughs> Near ne- the next, uh, the next keyword, I believe there are I in the list. I think there are going to be keywords that are going to be more, um, more pieces to a bigger puzzle. But I think the next keyword, sure. which is overwhelm are, are just very good on their own. I think that these are going to be heavily costed to throw onto bigger units. But uh, what Overwhelm does is essentially it's the equivalent of Trample, of Overrun, things like that, where excess damage dealt to a unit will convert to damage to base. And oftentimes, when you're playing against a deck that just drops a whole bunch of, of little weenies or, or with, uh, with Sentinel, etc., having an Overwhelm unit, uh, it's, like I said, it, it provides... It, the change you're getting back gets deposited where it needs to get deposited. And I think that bigger units with overwhelm are going to be very prevalent in a lot of decks. Yeah. It's a mechanic we've all seen before in, in other games. It's, it's, it's nothing new. Um, so again, the, the point of interest for me is, is uh, what is the implementation going to be like? Uh, how prevalent will it be? Will we have cards that bestow it on other cards? Um, you know, like uh, Charmer was mentioning, what's the, uh, essentially value cost going to be to apply it to a card um but yeah it's a it's another mechanic that's that's useful especially in a game where the objective is to take out your opponent's base or their life total or something like that uh something like this is is something you usually see pop up um and for good reason yeah the only thing that i'll say is if you are coming from a game like magic the gathering uh, overwhelm in a game like this is significantly better traditionally because you have the option to choose your targets so you can swing into that 1-1, one, one, get rid of it, get it off the board while also getting the excess damage. Whereas in Magic, for example, you can just choose not to block the trample unit. So there's a lot of, I, I think, situational uses with a keyword like Overwhelm in a game where the attacker chooses targets. But otherwise, yeah, it's not a lot new. Good point. Next one up, Raid. While this, uh, while this unit is attacking, it gets extra power equal to the raid value. I think Leia has raid as well. Uh, v- you know, valuable in those aggression, those are very aggressive lists. You, the ones that you want to be a having initiative, b just trading upward, uh, trading up. I think that having, for example, putting a one drop that's like a one two that becomes a three two when attacking is very good i think that those are those are how you want these units to to eventually develop wherein you're dropping them on the board and they're so insignificant that you might not want to address them but they're they're just they're above rate if you just leave them be i think that the raid keyword obviously lends towards more aggressive lists but lends more towards aggressive lists that have 
uh, that are lower to the ground, like your one, two, three drops that can trade upwards. I think that this is going to be important for those swarmy style lists. Yeah. Do you feel like this kind of lets you cheat a little bit on the the unit value valuation aspect of it, where you can give this sort of like circums, uh, you know, circumstantial power? Because um, I feel like we do kind of see this sometimes, where it's like because it only comes into play during a, a certain event um we can give a, a unit higher stats without necessarily making that card pay the valuation tax um which is interesting i do think that that is the case and i think that it's actually going to be highlighted very well by the game mechanics of star wars unlimited because one we have initiative like flake said so making sure you have initiative to ensure your raid unit gets first action is important because then you guarantee you got that value but the other thing that's interesting is that the raid value is only when the unit is attacking. It's only during that. So even if you attack first with it, once it's done attacking, it goes back to the smaller uh, mm -hmm. attack value. And because this is a game where, again, the attacker chooses targets, attacking into a unit with raid is usually going to lead into a, a value trade, right? That two for one where your unit survives, their unit dies. And so like that is the tax you're paying. Uh, I think that the raid mechanic would be stronger in a game like Magic or Legends of Runeterra, for example, where you declare all your attackers all in one go because then you're getting all of that value up front. But because this is a very back and forth with the actions, uh, you know, type game, it's going to be a, a little bit harder to get that consistent value from it. So I do think it's still a very good keyword. And we've already seen, you know, again, like the uh, rogue operative that was revealed that looks incredibly strong with it but there is a bit of a balance and i think that it's specifically the game mechanics of star wars unlimited that make it uh like okay for you to get away with something like raid in this game fair enough who wants to do the next one uh, uh i'll go ahead i was gonna say i'll, I'll take it uh we'll uh Go over restore. So this is when this unit attacks heal damage from your base equal to the restore value before dealing damage. And then the example given is with restore two. So it's basically like raid, except instead of your unit getting any sort of benefit, you are healing damage from your base when it attacks. The key part about this is there's several layers to this that I think the FFG designers may have learned from other games. Obviously, this looks on the surface very much like Lifelink or Lifesteal or whatever you want to call it, where whatever damage it would otherwise do is coming back as life. However, uh, the first thing about this is that the restore aspect is linked to the restore number, not the strength of the particular unit, right? Uh, so... If it's Restore 2, whether it gets a buff, an upgrade that brings it... If it's holding Luke's lightsaber, it's not restoring 5. It's still restoring 2. The other element here is that it is on attack only, not if it gets bumped into on defense. If your opponent attacks it, you don't get any uh, health back. And the other thing is that it resolves immediately. Whether you connect or not, whether you deal damage or not, if you bump into a shield or not, it will restore either way and i think that's important which would create a situation where in order for you to actually survive you might have to tank a restore unit into a shielded unit just to get 
some health back. And obviously that's mm. if you're in that position, it's not good. Like you're already in a in a bad spot, but sometimes that's the survival technique you need to take in order to see another turn to taint change the game. The other side to that is that it's a mechanic that feeds again into initiative very well. So if you're an aggressive player and you see your opponent play a restore unit, you might have more actions you wanted to take for the turn, but you might decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to just take the initiative now because I need to be able to kill that next turn before my opponent gets to attack with it, right? So I need to make sure I have first action. So tying it to attacking as opposed to whenever it deals damage or defends or whatever is also really important because it means that initiative matters, so you're promoting the game mechanics. And it also means you don't get to cheese things like with overwhelming barrage where you know suddenly your yoda is dealing 13 damage and gaining 13 health or whatever i i think it's a smart way to introduce healing into the game in a way that keeps the design space around healing very wide still um because again it's very circumstantial healing um it's uh it you know it's it's very narrow what you can heal when you can heal and so it's saying, you know, we're going to have healing in this game, but we're not going to um, just blanket put out a healing mechanic that's too wide and then makes our cards in our first set too strong and narrows the design space down the road or makes us backtrack on things or restrict things. So, yeah, I just think it's a smart way for a first set of a new game to introduce a healing mechanic. So, yeah, pretty cool. I don't think there's anything more to say about Restore. But the next one, to me is very fascinating. Uh, Doe, you want to hit us with the next one? Yeah, we got Saboteur. When this unit attacks, ignore the Sentinel keyword on enemy units and defeat all shield tokens on the defender before dealing damage. So I, I know we're going to talk about it later, but I'm just going to tell you right now, spoiler alert, I think this is the strongest mechanic um, by, by a lot to me, it seems like right now, because there's so much to unpack with this, right? You ignore Sentinel, first of all, um, you, so they have one of those units, doesn't matter. You can attack whoever you want still, you know, that's turned off. Um, you defeat all shield tokens, uh, on the, on the defender, right? So, um, you know, there's a potential sure to have multiple shield tokens on one thing. This just gets rid of all of them at once, which, uh, you know, when I was looking at the shield stuff that was showing up in the cards already, um, I was like, wow, you can theoretically shield things a lot, you know, how's that going to play, uh, play out? But this just gets rid of it all. Um, and then, of course, it does that before the damage is dealt. So you still get to do all your damage. So this, I feel like, is a keyword we're going to see used a little bit more sparingly um, because it does get around so many other mechanics. Um, it seems very strong to me. I would not be surprised if we see even a medium amount, but just everything has very low attack values as well. That could be too. Like yeah. I like this as almost a a counterweight in terms of balance where yeah, Sentinel is very important especially in a game where the attacker chooses targets, but this gives you a way to get around it, but you don't want it to just end the game either. You want it to just be ways to I think kind of needle. And then by getting rid of the shields, this is how you can kind of thematically get rid of the destroyer droids for example. If they want to make something that has a bunch of shields thematically, this can get you through it, that sort of thing. So uh, I do agree with you. I think that on paper, this is perhaps the most powerful because it looks like a single keyword that counters two keywords, both mm -hmm. shield and sentinel. But it is, I think, still something that can be balanced with care. 
as long as they, they don't overprint the keyword or put it on too many things that have high attack values. That's going to be the trick. Yeah, it is. It is the most dangerous looking keyword to me from a from a, a balance and and design perspective because I it is I think it's going to be very easy to do what you just said have too much saboteur out there and then that does just turn off decks that rely on sentinel and, and shield you don't want to do that so yeah that one that one this one's going to be a tricky one to implement I think it's a very fair assessment to say that this keyword might not be as scarce as you may be describing but it will be associated with units that are very easily dealt with uh low to the ground type units you know no more than four or five health Uh, i don't see any powerhouses any actual movers and shakers out there like that are like six sixes seven sevens that are coming in with this because what this essentially does is it completely negates other keywords so if it's too readily available and too too easy to slam these in because they're just good stats anyways, then you're, there are cards that are going to be in all these decks that just completely squash other people's archetypes or other people's strategies in the decks that are being built. I think that this is a, a you know, this is a, a keyword that you might throw one or two in, but based on your local meta and who you know you're playing against, or if a tournament meta um, develops where there's a lot of Sentinel or a lot of Shielded-related units, maybe you go heavier on it. We don't know if there's a sideboard. But in my opinion, if sideboards exist, you're jamming you know, maybe 15 to 20% of your sideboard with extra saboteur units in order to combat heavy Sentinel control-related shield decks or things along those along that nature. So... Um, in terms of power level, yes. Uh, in terms of build around level, no. I think that you're kind of putting all your eggs into the, uh, the solution basket versus the create a problem basket, if you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Yeah, agreed. Next one is what I believe, and again, we're, we're again, spoiler alert, I think that this next one is, in my opinion, going to be the most important, which is Sentinel. Sentinel says, enemy units in the same arena, ground or space, as this unit can't attack your non-Sentinel units in this arena or your base. Uh, if you have multiple units of Sentinel, well, they get basically they get to choose. This is Taunt. This is Guard. Uh, there's so many different keywords. Essentially, there's a Sentinel unit on the board. You have to attack the Sentinel before you attack anything without Sentinel. So it stands as basically a gatekeeper towards your uh, progressing towards your win condition which is bringing your opponent's base down to zero i believe that sentinel is going to be the most build around keyword it is the most central towards an archetype out of everything that we've seen here maybe restore restore is the other Mm. one i can see maybe raid but i believe that sentinel is the keyword that everybody is going to have in in all of their decks and uh there will be some strong decks out there that are basically sentinel centric decks but if you have multiple sentinels and they just get to choose anyway but if you have a lot of sentinel it's like having no sentinel it's true the illusion of choice at that regard that regard you're you're right if if everybody's if everything's op then nothing's op it's the same thing but ultimately the, the the cheese that stands alone at the end of the day is your base and that's what you have to protect most so um I believe there are going to be decks out there that are like 50 50 it's like 50 percent sentinels and 50 percent um utility style attack attack only type units 
Yeah, it could create like a big wall, basically, that they, they can't get through your units and get to your base. That that would be something you could try to build around for sure. Yeah. I don't have a ton of more to say about it. I think uh, I, I look at this and I'm like, a, a Sentinel unit played uh, at the right time in the right place could really throw off your opponent's plan for the action phase. Um, that, that's how I kind of look at it is I'm going to have these Sentinel units in my hand and I'm going to be reading what they're doing and trying to suss out what the rest of their turn is going to look like action phase wise. And then I want to throw that Sentinel down at the exact worst time for them, you know, or they suddenly need to waste an attack on that. And that doesn't let them do X, you know, which messes up Y. And like, that's, I, I'm looking at it like, how can I plunk one down at the right time, you know? Yeah, the only extra bit that I would add is that I think this might be the keyword that gets leaned on the most by new players, especially ones coming from Magic. If you haven't played a game mm. like this before, not having the opportunity to block whenever you want, you're going to panic a bit, and then you're going to want to put blockers in. <laughs> but it's not necessarily, I think, it's a very important keyword, but it's not like as direly important as I think some folks make it out to be. I'm perhaps I'm just jaded or I'm used to playing like the Elder Scrolls Legends where early phases of that game. Yeah, there were absolutely decks where people were like, I'm just playing every unit that has guard on the planet. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to play control elements and I'm going to grind the game to a halt. But I think you're going to quickly see that that isn't as viable long term as players get better at figuring out how to navigate those board states like it'll be effective very early but it it has limits i'll put it that way All it's right. a good mechanic for getting new players to think about you know who to attack and when right because taking away some options makes you consider it more so i, I like it for that reason too but i suppose we got to move on yeah, well, we got one more to go. We've got about 10 minutes left here uh, in the episode. Again, we told you it was going to be a long one, but Shielded <laughs> is the last uh, uh, unit, which I don't think we've actually she seen a Shielded unit. We've seen Shield tokens. We've seen Giving Shield units, but this is basically a unit with Shielded comes into play with a Shield token on it, and a Shield token would essentially prevent the first instance of any amount of damage it would take, like Divine Shield, uh, as it were. So... Shielded, I believe, is going to be a strong mechanic. I think that this is going to be one of those mechanics or those keywords that we're talking about, much like Saboteur. Uh, I think that it'll be on big units, but I think it, this is probably going to be one of the more scarce uh, keywords that we see in the game. Yeah, it, it kind of depends. I mean, you could just do like a, a little cheap shielded sentinel unit and like uh so that's your early game defense right you're putting out these cheap little blockers that kind of have to be dealt with theoretically they take two hits to kill even if they have like one life or two life right so i, I could see a couple different things you could put shielded on a massive unit that's uh that's got some card effect that's terrifying for your opponent but you know i, I see a lot of application for like smaller early game stuff too to kind of like help get a deck through the early game against something aggressive as well Shielded is incredibly powerful, but also very easy to play around if it becomes too much of a problem because just take the Vader leader ability, for example, right? Mm. I play a unit, and then if there's a big shielded unit on the opposing side, well, I can activate my leader to deal one to the shielded unit, one to my opponent's base. I've gotten rid of the shield. 
Granted, they could respond with another shield effect if they've got a ton of them, but there are ways around it. But if you can get value out of shield, it's also insane. So one of the decks that I played the most when I played the Elder Scrolls Legends was uh, a deck called Midrange Sorcerer that was built around Ward, which was shield in that game. Hmm. And you used it to establish value trades, get control of the board. I do think we're going to see a, a healthy amount of shield personally. And I think that it's going to be one of the strongest keywords in the game, because in any game where attacker chooses targets uh, and you have multiple lanes like this one, it it's very important for you to try to establish control of a lane and shielding a unit and then attacking into an opposing unit where you kill theirs, yours survives, right? Like that creates long-term value. That's how you snowball control in a lane. So it's very, very good. I actually think, you know, I know we're getting ready to transition to it now, so I'll just start. Uh, I think this has the potential to be the most build around hmm. if there are enough sources of it. That's going to be the key. If you have the ability to play a bunch of both shielded units and then effects that grant shield, then I do think that there's going to be some payoffs for building around shield specifically because... It means every action your opponent does, they have to say like, all right, if I do this, what happens if they give a shield in between my actions? What happens if they shield this unit and then swing in, etc.? It's going to, I think, really emphasize the back and forth nature of the card uh, mechanics, and I'm a big fan. We talked about build around. I said it was Sentinel. You talking about shield is definitely an, op an option there. Uh, before we briefly touch on what might be missing, what is your build around mechanic, your build around keyword, Doa? That's a good question. Um, if I had to choose one, and I, I think a lot of decks will be, you know, kind of have a good mix of everything, but I, I like the idea of building around something like Grit, uh, where you can set up a board that uh, you can either you know ping to you know with a one damage or two to like power it up yourself to attack or you can just make it a board that's very tricky to remove you know with theoretically theoretically with some other card mechanics that might come through so yeah that that sounds fun because you're sort of playing with damage in a different way you know all right so we are missing some uh, and we'll just go through the list here and i think I'll, I'll i'll list off some and i want you guys each to just say what you think is uh it should be in and what should never be in so we don't have things like flying we have space units but those are lane dependent but there's nothing that flies over units you're wrong it's saboteur oh very no oh i think i think he got you there <laughs> i i mean saboteur can just be something like i mean there's no there's no blocking in this game outside of sentinel and saboteur allows you to ignore it so functionally saboteur is the flying of this game it's close it's the closest yeah there we go there's our fourth technically our <laughs> of the uh, there's no death touch though i'm sure that it'll be written onto uh written onto a card there's no such thing as hex proof um or shroud as it were there's no vigilance there's a vigilance aspect but there's no vigilance that allows you to not tap a unit when an action is taken yeah. so doa which of these or outside the box do you think should never never be a printed keyword and what do you think should never be and um, or what do you feel is missing that we might see hmm. down the line i i'm really curious if we're going to get mechanics that let you take two actions in a row so essentially go again from uh from flesh and blood um, you know, or, or any other number of games that have that type of thing. Um, cause that would be 
especially strong in a game like this to take two actions in a row. Maybe that is a good thing to say. You know, we we never want that that printed um, because it might get too strong too fast. But at the same time, I kind of feel like in a game that's built around taking alternative actions, uh, you could put out a very strong like legendary card that gives you that rare ability to do two things in a row. You know. So I I wonder if we're going to see it. That's the big one I've been wondering about. Charmer? I I just want to say that if there's any one that should not be a thing in this game, it's Vigilance. Because essentially what you're saying is, is if my opponent passes the turn and I have a way that I can play a unit and ready it, I win. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely see that. I think, yeah. I, I obviously, it's just sort of breaks the whole mechanic of you know based on the the, yeah. the rules itself. To mm -hmm. me, it's hexproof. Uh, um, I, I don't mm. mind seeing cards that say something like, like there's the there's the uh, the star destroyer that says the first event your opponent plays is canceled, right? And I think that something along the lines of that, where if you like the first time this is targeted by an event. That event is canceled or or whatnot. There's a, a ward, a built-in ward or hexproof into it, but uh, outright hexproof is where things get messy because that's where mm. the build-around aspect of it. You create this Voltron effect of just putting upgrades, upgrades, upgrades on something that your opponent cannot catch up to. Um, hexproof to me is something I hope that Star Wars U just completely ignores altogether. I wouldn't mind seeing something like ward. A one-time ward effect, but not not hexproof. I like that answer. I, I like avoiding things that make the game non-interactive. Uh, anything that says you can't interact with this thing like you normally can, um, and not in an interesting way. You just can't do it. Um, I I like avoiding things like that. So yeah, I like that answer. All righty. Uh, so that does it for our review of the keywords, and I'm telling you. When your when your opponent drops a massive saboteur unit and all you've got are little little sentinels, what do you say, Charmer? I have a very bad feeling about this. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about this. Hey. Quiet. Whoa. Perfect transition into the bad feeling mailbag, which is going to be, we got a bunch of them, so we're going to actually have to uh, carry some over as we're up against the clock here. Uh, but I think the the first one that we want to go to, let's go to, let's go to the the one that came from the the mailbag, the actual email bag at wamparadiopodcast at gmail.com from Marcel Frome, all the way from Germany, I believed, fan from Germany. Uh Charmer, you want to read out that question? Yeah, the question was, are you at all worried that future sets might introduce new keywords or mechanisms that could render Star Wars Unlimited too complex and thus deter new or casual players from either getting into or continuing to actually play the game? It's a very good question. And first of all, thank you, Marcel, for the, <laughs> the submission here. I think that that is certainly a worry that adding very complex keywords can render the game a little too much to digest for for casual players to jump into but what i think that they've done here is that they've with the like eight or nine that they've created 
there's so much there's so much ability to mix and match them with stat lines, aspects, characters, interactions, additional game text that I think that it's going to be a long time until we see a new keyword, but when we do, just the one might carry us for an additional set or two. And that's kind of what Magic does. When Magic rolls out a new set, they usually have one or two new keywords, and as the standard rotation happens, a lot of them get wheeled out, so you're still Mm. playing with the same static amount, more or less. And maybe that's what we see with this, if there ever gets to a, a standard rotation part of this, that we might see no more printing of saboteurs in the new set, but a new printing of something new, like a flying effect or like a more that is more true to that. Yeah, I'm not really afraid of new keywords coming in. Um, you know, obviously there can get to a point where where you're flooded with keyboard keywords and it's you know it becomes less accessible for newer players. But I think that's a thing that's fairly easily managed, like you're saying, either with rotations, set rotations, um, or with just you know being very sparing sparing about printing new keywords, or when a keyword comes in, making sure it's not similar to any of the other keywords, making sure it's very unique and memorable. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about this because there's so many well-established ways of you know designing around it. I also don't think that it's necessarily a problem that we are getting keywords now or might get more in the future or have too many, mostly because when I look at all of the cards so far, They've done a really good job of making sure there's reminder text on everything. Even the cards that have multiple uh, keywords on them, right? Chewbacca with Sentinel and Grit. We just got the uh, Rebel unit with two keywords as well, Raid and Saboteur. There's always the text. Most of the cards that grant the text as well to a card still have the reminder text on it, right? So the only time, in fact, I think so far that we've seen uh, any sort of effects that don't have reminder text are when they are adding a token. And I think that that is because the intention is you're going to have the text on the token card, right? Because we know that there's a shield token card. We know there's an experience token card. So in those instances, if you say put a shield token on a unit, you don't have to have the text on the card because it's on the token, I think is their mindset. But literally every other card that's been spoiled so far has reminder text. And so if they follow that, as far as I'm concerned, they could have 30 new keywords next set, and I don't care because it tells me what it does on the card. All right, last one. This one's going to be rapid fire. And again, to everybody who submitted, thank you for submitting to the Bad Feeling Mailbag. Uh, We will revisit a lot of these questions. We'll have more discussions. But again, thank you very much for your submissions. From Thomas Brigman, very, very quickly, my friends. What keywords would you like to see uh, and uh, how many per new set? Um, my opinion, I think that one one new keyword introduced almost once a year, once every two, three sets is perfectly fine. And if there is one that I want to see, I want to see something akin to prowess uh, in uh, that's in magic, where if you play a sorcery or an instant, uh, something with prowess gets plus one, plus one. So this might be a situation where you play an event, you pass. You play an event, you pass. But meanwhile, there's something on the board that is getting powered up from all the events going on. I don't know what you'd call it, but prowess is something I would I'd like to see. I want to see keywords that enable alternative win conditions. I want to see a diplomacy keyword that helps you build up something like... Um, 
vote counters where when you have a certain amount of those, you win the game, you know, but your opponent can like prevent you from doing that, you know? So I want to see stuff like that. Like obviously politics is, you know, be, it, what, like it or not, it's become a big part of the Star Wars universe. So, uh, you know, let's, let's lean into it, you know? Let's uh, let's win through diplomacy. Uh, give me give me a deck that wins that by uh, winning pod races. You know, give me some more Star Wars stuff to do aside from just attack my opponent's base. I want those alternative win conditions. I personally, uh, I think two to three keywords per set is where I would like to land, and I say that simply because if you've got the number of aspects that we do and we kind of consider them to all have their own identity, I think it would be kind of unfair if you're introducing a keyword, but it doesn't have an identity that matches with like half your aspects Mm. for the set. So in that regard, if you are doing something, it either needs to be, you know, two to three new keywords, or it might only be one new keyword, but the other aspects need to have something that feeds their identity as well. Um, so as long as that's covered per set, that's fine. But I, I would also be fine if there was, like I said, like three keywords and two aspects share each one. Uh, something that doesn't exist yet that I would personally like to see would be akin to like a regenerate mechanic. But because this is a persistent damage game, what I'd like to see is something like restore. But instead it is uh, like regenerate too, and it's during the regroup phase you heal two from that unit. So every time you make it to the end of the turn, you heal X number of whatever the keyword is from your unit. So you can play a unit and then your opponent is incentivized to get rid of it all in one turn as opposed to letting it sit around and and get that value. Uh, The Wolverine effect. Perfect. Yeah, kind of, but a bit more measured, right? So that's why I was saying you do it during the regroup phase and it's a set number, but I do think that would be kind of cool to explore. I like that. Perfect. Well, that is uh, our discussion for the mailbag. And uh, again, if you want to contact us, you can always do so. Email WampaRadioPodcast at gmail.com or at WampaRadio on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it. You can contact myself at WatchFlake on Twitter. There's at GGDOA and at that Charm3R for all of us. Also, uh, we do lurk around on Discord and love to hear from you. So if you want to submit to the Bad Feeling Mailbag, you have plenty of options and that does it for another episode of Wampa Radio, friends. Not bad. Not bad. Great time, as always. I just want to play the game. I yeah. just want to get, yeah. get more cards in my hands. Please release the damn game. Please. <laughs> uh, we'll say this politely. All right. Friends, again, best way to support us, obviously, subscribe to us on whatever platform you are. Leave us a five-star review on the audio platform, Spotify, Google, whatever it is. It uh, it really helps us immensely. As always, friends, be kind, charmer, lock and load, buddy. Give it to us. May the force be with you. you.